Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Howdy, gentlemen. Hello, everyone. Hey. So, got a full docket of things to talk about today. Super Bowl was last weekend, as we're recording this on the 19th of February 2023. So, we'll certainly be recapping that. Talking some Oakland University basketball ahead of the uh, Horizon Tournament. Um, obviously, we'll touch on some of the other issues going on in the world of, well, Michigan State. And, uh, you know, obviously they played U of M last night and there was the shooting last week. And we'll touch on that briefly. Um, we will talk a little bit about uh, Tigers and spring training. Miggy is clearly in the best shape of his no. No, actually, he's not. Um, and uh, we'll actually touch on the Red Wings and Pistons a bit as well. So all of that fun stuff and more coming up on the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. And so starting in the world of Golden Grizzly basketball, um, you know, we, we've <laughs> this season has been interesting. Um it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, most recent game, rival game against Detroit Mercy at home, there should have been a Mercy rule on that game. It was, um, that was no bueno. That was really, really not good. I don't know what else to say. Well, I, you know, as I look at that, right, you know, you, you have a, a stretch now of four games at home. Um, you've, uh, I'm not going to say that you've righted the ship, but at least you've got the point of respectability and you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're going to be in the conference tournament. Um, but in the meantime, you had the opportunity um, to kind of get yourself from a seating perspective as high as you can. Uh, and you're facing a Detroit Murphy team that um, has not necessarily been, been been great by any stretch of the means. But, you know, Brandon, when I looked at this team, I mean, you you have a Cleveland State game at home, 92-89. You followed it up with the game at Green Bay, 59-47. Then you have 80, and then you uh, two two games in overtime um, within a week. And then you, uh, have, uh, you play at home against IUPUI, uh, and you play pretty good in that game. And then all of a sudden – I, the parts that I watched of that game and I watched the majority of it, I couldn't believe how bad the defense was. Um, and, and, and it seemed like maybe a team that at this point is gassed, which of course it's like a theme Shocking. that we talk about every year <laughs> around this time saying that um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what to really say about that. And in the meantime, you played some really close games. you won. Uh, and, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely cautiously optimistic going into the tournament with two games left in the regular season. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot. They're even consistent enough in any direction to really have a strong take about what they are. The only thing I think we know for sure is that they have no depth again and that they're burned out and they're gassed and – you know, just even the game against Detroit Mercy, uh, also a team with little to no depth, but all five starters and double figures. OU, 
only Jalen Moore had an amazing game, you know, scored almost 40 and then pretty putrid performances by Townsend and Hervey to kind of climb over 10 points or 11 points or whatever. And that's it. Yeah. Just, you know, Detroit Mercy's not very good. Um, not a great defensive team. You know, they ride beyond one great scorer basically. And so you feel like you should be able to shut that down with as athletic as the guard play is on the team. You feel like you'd be able to get a handle on that, but no. And so I think they have enough talent to beat anyone in the league, but I think the fatigue showed up really, I would say in the game against Milwaukee in which they, they choked that game away. Um, They were up late, double digits late in that game and they threw it away. And I think it was emblematic of that. They just didn't have any steam left. And so the question is, you know, how high of a seed can they get in the tournament? And then what do we think the ceiling is on this team? And I don't know the I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I think, you know, the the big caveat to put to your statement is that they can beat any team in this league in any one given game. I don't see how they and granted they did it earlier in the season where they strung together a bunch of wins, but I I don't see how they do that at this point juncture in the season yeah. uh could they win their first game could they win two games sure i mean hell they could win a, the tournament for all we know i mean but but it just seems so wildly unlikely given the construction of the roster and you know when they played in that milwaukee game they played six players in that game they basically had their starters out on the floor the entire game you know I, it just did it, it. I'm not saying anything that hasn't already been said. So, yeah. you, you know, and I think another thing to kind of uh, highlight too, as well, is that within the conference tournament schedule, I think you're going to be almost playing like back, back, back games, right? Or is it is the first game maybe at home if they have a high enough seating, and then they'll go and travel to Indianapolis? I think it is. Um, I I'm. So. I'm and, and I think that sort of setup is not a great one uh, for this particular team with their depth being um, not not uh, that high. Uh, and, and that's where I, I my enthusiasm going into the conference tournament would be uh, fairly muted at, at best, probably. Yeah, so let's take a look at where Oakland is at right now. Are they, what, fifth right now in the horizon? Yeah, they're, they're middle of the pack. Um, so I think they get though a buy from that first game if they're fifth. Um, and then, yeah, um, I think the challenge though, Justin, is that they are at the top of the middle of the pack, meaning if they drop one or both of these games, they could drop to potentially yeah. one of the lowest seeds in the tournament because. Yeah. Yeah. All the teams behind them are within two games, and they are two games below the teams ahead of them. So they're pretty much fighting to stay at five uh, in these last two games, and neither one of them is going to be easy. And Oakland does not – the home home games don't actually mean much to this team. It, they're just nope. one of the, the teams that – Homer, it doesn't make any difference at all. You know, yeah, it's not right, one of those environments, you know. Yeah, Rate State, Northern Kentucky, yeah, those are not two easy games. Um yeah, that's true. So if if that's the case, and they do drop down, you're looking at a game on the 28th. Uh, if they happen to win that game, then they would go play on the second. 
um, and then the sixth for the semi, seventh for the championship. So, I, I think the good news is that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they beat Northern Kentucky, they beat Cleveland mm-hmm. State, and they beat Milwaukee, and they beat Wright State, mm-hmm. uh, which are all the teams that stand in their way. And they played Youngstown State incredibly close at Youngstown State. So again, I stand behind that they can beat anyone in the league. But I think to your point, Justin, very little, uh, very little to believe that they can string together four wins in a row. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add to that, Adam? No, I think I've I've let my feelings known pretty clear about what the how I think this will all kind of transpire. Unfortunately, I'm certainly not what I want, but uh, um, you know, continue doing the same thing over and over. The, the result will probably most likely be a very noticeable one. So. I guess the only thing I would like to say in closing is that the thing that remains the singularly most baffling thing is the complete lack of Lauren Bowman playing at all. I mean, can't be played 12 guys, I think, against Mercy towards the end of the game. Lauren Mm -hmm. Bowman played one minute. He was a three-star recruit from Wisconsin. What is going on? Don't we know. seem to have we it's seem like to have a, these a blue blood school, and he's a, he was a three star. We seem to have these mysteries every year, and I, I don't. I mean, and and of course, with it being a, you know, not the most uh, uh, viewed program, I think there's things like this that kind of squeeze through the, the um, you know, the squeeze through without noticing, right? And and I mean, we we are noticing here. But typically, because you don't necessarily have a large press following or inside track of it, there's, you know, there's things that happen. And then Warren Bowman is your 2022-23 um, case for this particular uh, program. Yeah. And, and it's a very fair question. I don't know whether or not I, I haven't seen where Campy has been asked about him. Um, but I don't know. Knowing Campy, uh, somebody did ask him, and he threatened to break that person in half, and and let his uh, journalist friends know that he will break in half anyone who asks. That's that's where I'm at on that one. I think there's there's got to be something going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. Um, so he, uh, Mr. Campy, can be a little intimidating at times. So in any case, um, yeah. Most likely be doing a post mortem on this at our next show. Probably, yes. So, moving uh, a little bit uh, further out west in the state, uh, U of M MSU played yesterday um, <clears throat> in a very emotional game. Obviously, the shooting at Michigan State happened this past week. I don't think there's anything that we can say that really makes a difference or is any different than what anyone else can say other than being horrified um, like the rest of the world at this sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> so they decided, uh, Michigan State decided that, you know, they would start the athletic programs back up on Saturday. So both the women's and men's teams played Saturday at basketball. Um, to try to help, you know, get everybody back into some sense of normalcy. Uh, Michigan uh, did a very nice job. It was very classy in the way that they honored the state um, campus and players, you know, 
wearing their garb, turning the the arena green and white, um, playing the fight song. Um, it was funny just all throughout the Big Ten, for example, uh, just different examples of, um, you know, tributes to Michigan State and what have you. And so this isn't the program where we're going to go into uh, our thoughts on how terrible it is that that has to even happen. Uh, what I would say, though, is that uh, it was probably cathartic for the students and fans and what have you to have some basketball action. On Saturday, Michigan ultimately won that game. State kind of, you know, kind of petered out at the end. Michigan won, I think it was like a 12-0 run to finish, and they won by 12. Um, so any observations from that? You know, even I, I think the other thing I noticed is that Johnson was a dude doing a broadcast as I've ever heard him, uh, quite honestly. I thought that was pretty notable. You know, both these teams, um, you know, kind of doing our best to kind of step away from the events that did happen uh, earlier this week at Michigan State. Um, n- neither of them have been what I would call remarkable, right? I think uh, uh, Michigan State, you know, you, you always have the, well, Tom Lizzle, have the guys really up and running by March and, and, and whatnot. Um, I, I think very understandably so. They looked a little on the flat side last night, and, and it probably, if, if, if it's going to have any time, it's going to take some time to process what's happening. And the thing you have to really take into consideration, these are young, young men, very young men, very impressionable young men. And uh, it, it, it will probably take quite a bit of time. But even leading into that, um, I think that this is a, a program that was kind of struggling to kind of get their um, uh, the, the the grip on their game, um, and, uh, and in the meantime, Michigan Wolverines playing a home. Uh, they have not had a top uh, twenty-five win, win this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mind you, it's a little difficult in the uh, Big Ten when Big Ten's is bad at basketball as they've been in many, many, many years, um, and um, the expectations of Jawan Howard uh, and what he was going to be able to do with this program uh, right now, it seems to be very severely lacking. Uh, and there's really not much really to really go by with either of these programs that have been so good in the past. I think it certainly was Michigan's best one of the year. Um, just given the emotions of it, the atmosphere, you know, their win at Northwestern was, was also a nice win. Uh, yeah, both teams are middling. I think, you know, Michigan State has a more favorable schedule down the stretch, will likely be a tournament team. You know, they've they won some good games this year, uh, played some other, you know, Purdue very, very close as well. They'll probably get in the tournament. Michigan has a lot of work to do. I would say it's unlikely that they, can, they do not make the tournament unless they rip off, you know, maybe the next two, uh, two out of the next three or, or, you know, three out of the next four, something like that. Um, yeah, you know, in the Big Ten, Big Ten is a, uh, it's a slugfest again. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as you're characterizing it, Adam. Um, I think the Big Ten has has beat up other teams uh, in non-conference play. Uh, I think Purdue is very clearly one of the four best teams in the country, even though they've taken some hits. Indiana is very now that they're getting healthy is a very very good team. Um, but yeah, I I don't see much ceiling for either team. Could be a real early end of the season, Adam. I think you put that in your notes for Michigan. You know, if they if they lose the majority of the rest of their games, even with a deep conference run, it seems unlikely. And then state 
can't imagine they're making it to the second weekend, you know. Likely going to be playing a two or a three seed in the second round should they advance. Don't really have consistent scoring. Um, you know, Izzo's doing his best, and he's bringing in a great class next year, which is exciting. And then with Michigan, you know, Howard, um, once he's lost the set of NBA caliber wings that he had, uh, it's a little bit harder uh, to uh, put together the the fancy the fancy seasons, you know. You know, Franz Wagner is now a very good NBA player. Isaiah Livers has got an emerging role for the Pistons. These were staples for Howard in his first couple of years. And I think for both Howard and Dickinson, it's a wake-up call when you don't have, you know, these NBA caliber guys flying around, uh, playing great defense, hitting big shots. You know, even Eli Brooks last year, their captain, uh, they fear, they're feeling his loss. Um, and then Jet Howard, uh, who is almost certainly a lottery pick, but isn't really a great team guy and by that i mean he just kind of does his own thing and he's extraordinarily talented and will be a very good nba player but you know the the rhythm of the offense has been out of joint because he's kind of a one-on-one guy and he's going to shoot deep threes and he's going to hit a lot of them but he's a freshman and doesn't play good defense and dickinson's not a great defender and they're a mess they're really a mess and so the one thing i would say looking ahead for michigan is that their freshman talent and their underclassmen talent really showed out last night in terms of the future for the program. And so that was Terrace Reed Jr. That was Doug McDaniel, Kobe Bufkin. If he doesn't jump to the draft, though, that seems to be becoming more and more likely. So Howard, if he can add some complimentary pieces again in the transfer portal, the the future could be brighter. But I actually think that as counterintuitive as it is to hear, the departures of Dickinson and maybe Howard might not be the worst thing for this team in terms of its chemistry and its flow. Well, it seems like Howard is next Jordan Poole that comes from the state of Michigan into the uh, yeah. NBA guy that I barely knew played at Michigan State and is uh, taking the NBA by storm. So, I, and, uh, and, you know, Jordan Poole from Michigan, you know, he hit a, game, a buzzer beater uh, in one of their, you know, in their championship run um, that they went on where they eventually lost to Villanova. But by and large, it functioned exactly like Adam is saying. He hit, took a lot of shots. Uh, didn't hit all that many of now didn't hit as many as Howard. He was incredible around the basket. And when, when he left, did they get all that much worse? No, nah, really. Cause yeah. again, the offense can run smoother when you move the ball and you don't have someone jacking up 30 footers. So part of the fun of college basketball. Um, it's, it's, it's what I mean. And I didn't even mean it as snarkily as that sounded. Uh, it's just part of what, it is so there, there, I heard I heard there was talk regarding college basketball that the the consideration of making the shot clock 24 like they have in the pros versus 35 um it's it's a very very interesting thought um I I, I do think there would be some value in that uh just because they, I I think it would force um I don't know. I think it just would force a little more focus in each of the professions. And uh, I can tell you the focus that I see in any college basketball I've, I've sat down and watched this year, it's very lacking. And, and part of it's just your talent level and experience. And we're not going to capture that again because most of those talented guys are going to go either to the, you know, the, the NBA minors or they're going to go and, and, you know, the G league or, or they're going to just do their one and done. Um, college basketball, compared to when I first started watching back in the mid-90s, is a rough, rough watch. But 
we'll all be there coming up in March and everyone will fill out their little brackets and everything will be good. So, Yeah, I think for, sure. for conversation on another time, an interesting debate about what actually produced the higher caliber college basketball, the no one-year rule or the one-year rule uh, in terms of departing players. Uh, you know, and, and guys going for a year and then declaring versus just being, you know, jumping straight into it. And, you know, what what leads to better basketball teams uh, and better basketball playing. And then there's also the transfer portal, too, which the hope was would balance some of this out by injecting senior level talent into high quality programs to balance out the fact that, you know, programs play so much younger now. So um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's quite where they want the game to be. No, definitely not. That is, that would be something though to take a step back, kind of look at it as a whole. I think that's a really interesting uh, topic. I will say just a, a small dig because I actually don't think the NBA is all that great either. Because all they do is shoot threes. There's no inside game at all, at all. You know, Zach Eady will be Aaron Trace Jackson Davis, likely. You know, certainly one of them will be the Big Ten Player of the Year, possible National Player of the Year. Maybe they'll get drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. They just don't play in the post in the NBA, and they have great skills. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis is an extraordinary player, and you know he'll get drafted maybe in the late, late first round. So it's just, you know, I'm not I'm not too too enamored with either one right now. No, you're right. I mean, the the, the 15 foot jumper is is extinct, absolutely extinct in in the NBA. Um, and 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 to that point, I think more part of it has to do with them not necessarily having those fundamentals, if you will, um, from the uh, um, from college and what you call back in the '90s and and whatnot, and and, and of course even in the '90s, I mean the, the three point line was fairly new still in college basketball at that point, uh, and even there's been a whole lot of discussion about you know, LeBron James and him having the all time scoring, of course. The majority, obviously, his whole time has been with a three-point shot, where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it with almost uh, very toward the latter part of his career, the uh, the, the you know the three-point arc. So um, it's not like Kareem was of, out there shooting threes. <laughs> no, but I think again, I mean, I, I did not. I, I meant to go do the math, but then the question would be: if if you didn't have that three-point line, would LeBron James been even remotely close to you know? Because LeBron James definitely does. Shoot so exactly uh just breaking news from the stat department uh kareem abdul jabbar was one for 18 in his career for three-point shots made <laughs> was so not I, was not insinuating oh. that anything in, in terms of his game i mean his game was eight to ten feet well, out right so well that i was gonna say i mean that just tells you how dominant kareem was i mean i remember him as as an old man basically still making his hooks, you know, and I, I, yeah. Yeah. So moving from one type of greatness to another type of greatness, um, we'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl now, because I think that's probably the most topical thing. Um, And, I guess my, my point here is, you know, we were talking about individuals and their impact in basketball. And that's something we've talked about over the years, too. Um, football is a much more team sport. But I will say that one of the things that really stood out to me in this Super Bowl is the, the various individual performances. 
this was one of those games where talented players got to make plays um just just all over the place in a wildly exciting game with just some great efforts and what have you and and i mean mahomes and what he did with the bum ankle uh obviously jalen hurts was just spectacular um but even still we saw it from the running backs we saw it from the wide receivers just fantastic individual playmaking and and sprinkling a defensive touchdown and a long punt return to boot so it had a little bit of everything a really fan and and of course an official's um you know uh uh, controversy. So, I mean, this game really had everything. It was a great football game. I'll start there. You know, it was a game I didn't really, uh, I, I didn't really, there, there was nothing interesting really laid out going into the game. And I guess what I'm saying is that, yeah. that ne- neither team would I look at and go, oh, I really like them or I really don't like them. The spread was very, very small, one and a half points or something like that. Um, but I, I, you know, I think there's teams in the NFL where, where there's the storyline. And of course, last year, of course, the storyline was very easy in the Michigan area with Matt Stafford going to the Super Bowl, the first you know, year, you know, going to the LA Rams, right? Um, th- this was not, and I mean, even, you know, the coaches are kind of, I mean, Andy Reid is now really looked at as being almost legendary, right? But, but I mean, but, 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 but there's no, "Quote unquote reputation of Andy Reid to you know opposed to like a Bill Belichick, right? Uh, Nick Sirianni is definitely a, a, a you know a you know a bit of a, a wheeler and dealer when it comes to football and and and, and whatnot. Um, but again, Nick Sirianni is not really well known, and and I think it was interesting to have a game that really didn't necessarily have that 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 uh, polarizing uh, storyline going in, and for it to be as good as it was." And in the meantime, of course, I, I still think for a lot of people, very polarizing having that pass interference call toward the end of the game against Bradbury. Um, but regardless, definitely one of the better Super Bowls that we've had, uh, though you could say that, boy, had they not called that Bradbury pass interference, we would have maybe had the opportunity to see Joe and Hurts do something at the end. Uh, and I think that would have made it just that much better, just to, to see what could have happened. My recommendation for Bradbury would be to not hold the wide receiver if he does not wish to get called for a penalty. <laughs> I, I, I was really, other than I was floored at the controversy, the idea that it was controversy. And I don't know, maybe if people don't have good TVs or or are unfamiliar with what holding is in the NFL, I, I, I was stunned by it. And was frankly pretty like, Okay, when when he admitted it in the post game, I was like, "Thank you." Like, I, I just literally don't know what people were watching. He held him. It was an and, and the type of route that was being run was going to make it even more egregious based on where the football was going to be thrown because it was up and out towards the corner of the end zone. So the fact that he was holding him was going to create an even bigger disparity between where Schuster was and where the ball was going to end up. And I think that that is it's like a, a cut and dry play that's going to get called, and I think it's terrible that it happened. When it did, you know, for the sake of the quality of the game or the ending of the game, but like, don't hold the wide receiver. Oh, agreed, agreed. You, you, you can't. I, I the, the only thing I would question, and and I mean, I, I don't know. If I don't. You and I are not going to be on the same page about how egregious it was. But the question would be, 
and, and especially listening to other people talk about bribery is that did you finally make that play the, the one you were going to call the penalty on versus should you have been calling earlier ones? And and I think that might have been the point I would have made for the, with the, from the officiating standpoint is all of a sudden now I'm going to guess that that, that was not the first time that Bradbury did that. that no. And maybe it maybe went up to like 10 times. Then all of a sudden you decided at the end that you were going to, to call it. And I think that's the most frustrating part about it. That's it. Yeah, so. I'm not going to defend NFL officiating at any point in time ever. Um, but I think again, it, bad luck. I mean, again, I think wh- how the way the route was being run was a really bad time for him to do a lot of the the little hugging and holding that happens from both cornerbacks and safeties all game long on both sides. That goes ignored oftentimes, you know, depending on the officiating crew. Sometimes not. Um, so again, I think it was just bad luck you know, based on the timing and, and the route, because it was going to look really bad. Well, I was, you know, yeah, I, I was going to say, um, I, I think that's a really crucial point was the route that he was running. Um, if he was running, you know, something out into the flat and he grabbed his jersey, would they have called it? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that he was going to beat him by a couple steps, that made it. And, and had been beating him. Yeah, for most of the last couple of drives where Schuster actually came out of nowhere and started actually giving Holmes a second option um, when they they finally started moving the ball, you know. Yeah. So um, really kudos, though. Well, first off, I suppose Jalen Hurts was just phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal and phenomenal work by uh, the offensive line, too, of the Eagles. really really amazing um but you know where i think a lot of the breakdown came for the eagles was i feel like they didn't make the right adjustments for the second half whereas the chiefs absolutely did they started exploiting the flats they started exploiting they weren't really running a cover two but they were exploiting the soft spots in the zone the chiefs were and just kept finding those holes and um were unstoppable pretty much i i think mentally i think philadelphia eagles when they went into the uh locker room at halftime i think they thought they won the game when when mahomes was brought up pretty late with the ankle after the you know the tackle right before the half i think they literally in their mind thought that they won the game and and not that they like all of a sudden just you know didn't do what they need to do at halftime or whatever but i think mentally that they let up a little bit, especially, and, and I'll tell you what, between Bradbury and Jerry Slay, they got beat pretty good in the second half. And I, I just wonder as well, the Eagles, if you look, they were a very effective, awesome first half team all year. They were not a very good second half team. Um, and I, I think that that's something that Sarani and, and his coaching staff are going to have to figure out what they're going to do to improve. Because I'll tell you what, if if the 49ers get a healthy quarterback, uh, quarterback next year, they'll be there. There's a team in Detroit that I will tell you, the one thing that they do very well is they play four quarters. Um, the Eagles are not going to be able to afford to play two to three quarters. They're going to have to figure out how to play four quarters next year. And then the, the biggest storyline that was inverted from what the expectation was, was all all all, uh, all pregame, all the hype was, 
how much pressure, you know, can the Chiefs put on Hurts in order to disrupt them? And then how badly will the Chiefs offensive line get mauled by the Eagles front seven? And the exact opposite happened. And that's where I think it finally broke down for Slay and Bradbury is that they could not generate a pass rush against Mahomes, even, you know, on a bad, bad ankle. No sacks. I mean, if you look at the blueprint for how Burrow and Mahomes have been defeated, you know, by the two NFC teams in the past two years, it was outstanding pass rush. I mean, that's what, you know, tore apart Kansas City against the Bucks is that Mahomes was getting hit every other play. And then Burroughs was sacked, what, seven times or something ridiculous against the Rams. And Aaron Donald was seemingly in the backfield every play. And the Chiefs, the, the Eagles couldn't lay a hand on Mahomes. And, and Hertz was sacked twice and had that very crucial fumble. And that was the difference. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, too, yeah, I mean, I, I think the over-under on sacks going into the game was five and a half, and it got to two, and I think a large part of that had to do with really, a, a really, I, I don't know who's managing the, uh, the the turf out in Arizona, but it would be a mm. lot of slips. Oh, yeah, that's another thing, point. just an absolute disgrace yes. to that game, and the caliber of that game was the field. Yes, I, I, Truly a disgrace. I, I do wonder out loud if the game would have been different had the turf been, like, where it needs to be for a Super Bowl, let alone barely a, a high school game. So, yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, it's not usual to see players uh, slip when they're doing their uh, touchdown celebration. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and you know, I will have to say this though. Um, as Hertz kept running all of those quarterback draws, I'm like, that never works in Tecmo Super Bowl. Why is it working now? <laughs> Uh, I think the only guy that could do that in technical bowl, uh, Justin, was Randall Cunningham. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. outside of true. that, I think you were a lot of pocket uh, quarterbacks that were on those teams. I mean, I personally, I thought Bernie Kozar was my guy for the cornerbacks name. <laughs> that shows me maybe why I'm not an NFL coach. So. <laughs> <laughs> You keep uh, working in that private sector, Brandon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, obviously, coming out of that game, um, you know, Chiefs. I mean, you really have to, you know, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Adam. You know, Andy Reid. You really have to take your hat off to him to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're a little early on the dynasty uh, sort of talk, but really, really impressive work. Um, yeah, really nothing else to say there. Well, and I think I'll, I'll tell you to add to it, though, if you think about it. I mean, this is a team that was absolutely dragged through the mud when they traded away Tyreek Hill. Mm, and they didn't, didn't necessarily have a necessarily a player that was going to be able to fill that role, right? They brought in Alan Lazard, brought around Marcus Vandens, uh, Scantling. Uh, he did not do a whole lot. Um, obviously, the, uh, Schuster was pretty good. Um, uh, he had a little problem staying healthy throughout the season. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm, and, and of course, they uh, um, lost Clyde Allaire, who was a very – um, highly regarded draft pick when they made him, and, and he just is not necessarily um, lived up to the hype. But in the meantime, 
Uh, Pacheco uh, was really effective. Uh, there was a yes. lot of talk. Maybe he wouldn't be as effective, you know, in that game. And then in the game against the, the Bengals, he was kind of silent there. But uh, between him and McKinnon, they did a good job of, of really kind of providing that, that that you know, good running back uh, play that, I mean, even Mahomes needs good running backs. That, that, that's, that's to say the least. But they completely have reworked that offensive line, too. That's, there's not, from the Super Bowl they were in two years ago, this, I believe four out of five guys on that were not on that on, on that team before. They've done a whole bunch of, of uh, uh, modifying of that line. Um, they, they really they, they are completely, basically a very retooled team, especially in defense as well. Uh, and for them to do what they did was really, really, really incredible. And especially, as I mentioned in our notes, Joe Burrow, I think, will probably be up many nights thinking, how did we not win that game when we were given opportunity after opportunity and Mahomes had no one to throw to? He had Kelsey and almost no other wide receiver in, in the game at that point. Um it, I'll tell you, I mean, it, it, Dax was really impressive. It, it, and to overcome this this ankle injury that uh, um, you know Mahomes has had to play in the style that he did, I mean, it, it is really, really remarkable. And it does ask the very serious question: What, what, <laughs> who's going to necessarily be able to beat them going forward? With of course the caveat being that you know eventually Andy Reid will retire. He he's probably that's not he's not like that good new subject. Um, and especially with Eric Bieniemy leaving, uh, he's going off to become the offensive coordinator over Washington Redskins. I think that's a fantastic move for him. I think he's going to go into a team that uh, he should be able to show what he can do as an offensive coordinator. Hopefully, that gets him to a position where he probably needs to be uh, as a head coach. Uh, but I, I think it's tough to kind of show what you can do when you've got a guy like Mahomes that just seems to do so much by himself. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the only other observation I have that was really puzzling for me was what was going on with Miles Sanders. Um, and, you know, yes, I think Hertz played a phenomenal game, but I also think they overutilized him too. Uh, and you could tell, I mean, I don't think he was fully healthy either. And I have been more of a Hertz skeptic all throughout the year because I, I don't actually think he's that good of a passer. Uh, and I think teams really misplayed A.J. Brown all year, but – he played very well on Sunday, but I just don't understand why they didn't use Miles Sanders. That was baffling to me. Um, you know, we're talking about somebody who ran for 1,200 yards this year, had 11 touchdowns and five yards of carry. I mean, is he a streaky player at times? Absolutely. But those numbers are those numbers. I mean, and for him to have six carries for 20 yards and was gone for huge pockets of the game, uh, obviously got lit up on that hit, you know, where it was uh, eventually, you know, not, not ruled a fumble, but that was strange to me. You know, and so it seemed like they were out of sorts in terms of their flow of their offense, despite the fact that Hertz had the three rushing touchdowns. You know, they were controlling the ball through the quarterback sneak, as much as we were joking about it. They were controlling the ball not through five yards of carry, but rather through throwing, you know, chuck downs, getting it to, you know, second and one, third and two, and converting there, and never really established the way that Pacheco did in the second half when he was running hard and tiring out the front seven and the secondary and running fast, and, you know, a rookie, all the steam in the world. And I think that had an impact that the, the Eagles couldn't answer that way. For sure. Totally, totally great. I have no idea where Miles Sanders went. And, and to your point, for a guy that was so critical to the success on that team, uh, including, you know, when they demolished the 49ers that, that in, in, a, in, in a fashion that we not a lot of people thought that they could do, 
um, you know, being so physical up front and being so effective running the ball. Um, I, I don't know why. And I, I just think, though, sometimes with football coaches, they outsmart themselves. And, and I'm not surprised that a guy like Nick Ronnie out, out coached himself in, in, in that game. That's fair. So that wraps it up for uh, Super Bowl. I'm sure we'll talk Lions over the next couple of months as we get ready to the Lions' big day of the year, which is the draft. And um, and I, I'm still going to be uh, critical and snarky of the Lions until they do something uh, to make me not, just, just for the record. Um, that said, uh, I did want to move over into baseball. Spring training is underway. It, technically completely starts tomorrow um, but a lot of players have been in camp with the world baseball class coming up so the vast majority of players have been in camp this past week um really you know nothing much to say other than a few interesting tidbits that have come out of spring training um and and actually i'll back up and say one thing that was missing was the Tigers really going out and getting a legitimate bat. Um, worst, like a historically bad offense last year. And I'm very confused as to why. I mean, they, they grabbed a couple of young guys in Verling and Matan from, um, from the Phillies. We talked about that a little bit last time, but they didn't go out and get a legitimate bat. And I don't understand that. And, and, and look, the Tigers are not going to win the World Series this year. The Tigers weren't going to – they probably won't even be 500 with or without that bat. What? 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 <laughs> what? So you're telling me I have to take my PTO out of the system for next October? They're not <laughs> yeah. going to be playing? They will not be playing. I'm sorry. I really am. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to say it, but um, even with no, that no, – he can go. Of course, there will be Tigers playing. He and he and Brandon can go out to Arizona. The Arizona like Fall League and really or... take it all in. Take it all in. The Arizona Fall League. <laughs> oh, That's I think you meant the Okay. <laughs> the goo. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I just <laughs> besides besides <laughs> them not keeping an existing Castro. I don't know, you know, <laughs> the biggest surprise complaint I have is them not going out and getting at least a bat for the middle of the lineup to help protect the young guys who are going to get lots of opportunities to play. So, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not was surprised and somewhat suspect of their lack of movement to get a bat, you know, I think they – I was pretty – I'll say I was just pretty stunned that they didn't add a bat somewhere of all of the kind of veteran guys floating around there that I've been advocating for for years. Some variety of them not to bring in. They were hamstrung by not being able to add the DH um, to, the, to the lineup with Cabrera. We'll see how much they get out of him this year. It's kind of the age-old tale. Yeah. And then, you know, he'll finally – he'll, you know, walk off into the sunset this year and they'll, they'll have that open again. I guess the one thing I, I would come back to thinking about it is, you know, maybe Nick Harris really believes that with some right, some, uh, what's the right word, some, you know, correction or or healthy regression, that the bats will be okay and that they really were overcoached. And that, you know, with the right coaching, um, 
that you know he'll get you'll get different results out of a scope or a Torkelson or you know you'll get Meadows back and healthy and that they'll be you know you'll get a different return on that investment plus some of the the guys they added from Philly but I still think it was ultimately a mistake not to add the depth so Adam what do you think you know I think what I'll I'll tell you my thought going into the season, and, and I will be consistent, is I'm disappointed they haven't done something in, in, in the realm that you're talking about, Justin, because I, I think it's going to be critical before too long that this team starts posting wins. In order to be notable locally, in order for anyone to pay attention to you, you have to go out and put wins in, in the standings. And on your uh, on your schedule, um, because before too long, you won't even be barely an afterthought. This team has been so terrible for so long that you've got to do something. And I think this organization is ready. I, I, I and I I just wonder, and if it doesn't happen this year, absolutely has to go in for next year. That they're Juan Gonzalez slash Pud Rodriguez side, where they just yeah. they just throw a bunch of cats at someone who's going to shake the, the the tree a little bit. Because otherwise, you go you're you're going to drive by Comerica Park, and you're like, what do they do there? Uh, I, I mean, and I know I'm being a little over the top, but this is a team that has not done anything in almost a decade, and it's time to do something. And look like you actually want to do something. Yes, that's a hundred percent true. Um, yeah, it it yeah, that's a hundred percent true. So this season is going to be very interesting. Um, and and something you know, Brandon and I were talking about this uh, prior to the show today is just there's a lot of anger in Tigers Nation. Um, just a lot of anger. And, and I get it. I understand why people are upset. I'm not ready to, you know, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, Torkelson is a bust and Green's a bust and Mize is a bust and all these things. And Mize I'm actually now concerned about, which is one of the things I wanted to talk about too. But it'll be very interesting to see because I, I do truly think the Tigers went through a historically bad season last year, a historically unlucky season last year, and that just just by chance, just by sheer chance, they will not be as bad in some of the ways they were last year. Um, but they're so, certainly not good enough. But the one thing I wanted to say about Casey Mize that really, really concerns me is the back surgery he had. I mean, we knew he was going to have Tommy John at some point. I mean, like, that's just, that was a given. It was just when. Um, but the fact that he had to have back surgery, and now some of these reports are coming out that he's had back problems dating back to college. And if that's true, and, and they were any level of significance and what have you, that is a a, a stunning indictment of Avila and his administration uh, to draft him. Um, now, I would say, by the same token, many, many people thought Mize was the number one pick. So, like, I don't think they were off in left field picking a wide receiver for four straight years or whatever with the first pick. But that was really shocking to me. And now 
really concerning of what is Mize's high end? Because I always thought his high end wasn't Verlander high, but it was number two with some seasons as an ace high end, you know, not Hall of Fame, but really good. You know, one of those just really good guys. I'm concerned that that's not his high end anymore. And that would be truly disappointing. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens, right? I think I, I sure. want to say, I, I think the, the whole uh, back surgery, I mean, I, you know, there's there, there an extreme large variety of back surgery out there, right? Well, that's, and for, that's true. And, and for, for someone as young as he is, um, you know, I, I, I tend to think he doesn't have arthritis or anything in the back. It just maybe just, you know, a, a, it, it might have been a very routine thing and, and maybe we're potentially blowing it out of proportion. But to your point, if he says someone who sounds like he has had a history of, of back issues, so on and so forth, uh, yes, it, it's a little startling to sit there and go, oh boy, did, did we really do the, you know, the homework? Did, did the previous organization do the homework? I, I will say at the same time, they've got so many different players at this point at the pitching position. I'm not going to tell you it's a, a, a great thing to have Casey Mize be going through what he has, but they, you know, the previous organ, you know, uh, part of the organization went ahead and they got the Matt Manning. They, you know, we, we have Spencer Turnbull coming back this year, which supposedly there's many people in the organization that think he has the highest ceiling of any of any pitcher, you know, in 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 the uh, in the organization at this point. Um, do what what you can with what you got, and 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 you know, and and, and just move forward, and just you'll have to do the day by day routine with AC Myers. For sure. Um, yeah. And, and that's ultimately what this season's going to be. It's going to be that. Let's see how all the guys do. And again, Tiger fans are not going to be happy with that because we've been doing that for however many years now. Um, but that's what we're going to see. We're going to see if Akil Badu is, is he or isn't he a real major league baseball player? I think that's got to be decided this year or, largely decided this year mm -hmm. um you know what about the two kids they got from philly what is their role um what about some of these younger kids obviously torkelson is it and green are going to be a big story no matter what i think green's fine by the way um torkelson really is the bigger story and then meadows can he bounce back i mean all of these you know gray areas here um Justin, let me jump in. Let me ask you, because I think this is maybe the most important question going into spring training, going into the 2023 campaign. What is your confidence level that this coaching staff and the analytics department has understood maybe what they did last season and are going to be able to correctly write the ship? What's your confidence level in that happening? That's a great question. Um, right now, I would say it's about 70, 75%. Um, I am somewhat bullish on that. I was not earlier in the season, but here's, or earlier in the off season, I should say, here's why it's improved. Because probably in the off season, it was about 40%. Like, I, I, you know, I still think Hinge is a very good manager and I like some of the things they were doing. But the reason why it's improved, one of it is the hires they went out and made 
they got some very talented folks to join the squad who are very um, savvy, very technical, and what have you. Um, and now, much like the Giants, they're they're approaching the coaching the way the NBA is, with like having one coach per player, give or take. And um, so that was a joke. And then, because um, I think NBA coach, they still have more coaches than Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. But um, the reason why, at least as it was reported, and Hinch has alluded to this, the reason why they were really tweaking people's swings last year was to beat the shift. They were looking to make contact at certain points to where they could beat the shift, which is that that very late contact, you know, making contact deep in the zone. That was the way they had been phrasing it. The shift is gone. Um, so there is no reason to do that anymore. And Hinch has even talked about how he doesn't expect the Tigers to do any more ridiculous stuff because there's already talked that the Rays have some ways to kind of game uh, the rules that are in. Like they're going to like literally switch infielders to different sides of the field uh, and things of that nature, you know, cause you, you gotta have two on each side on the dirt, but depending on who's coming up, you can put these two on the left side of the right side of the infield. You only change once per inning, but uh, who knows? And Hinch kind of laughed. He's like, somebody's going to be playing those games. It's not us. And so if they're going back to just teach people how to hit the ball <laughs> and, attack the zone and but but have good plate discipline which is what harris is super focused on is plate discipline which i love that makes me feel hopeful but i'm not convinced that is also true so i i and and i will i will go back to something you said earlier um but by the way i thought i think it's interesting it seems like almost aj hence is admitting he was playing in clash here and so was commentary, right? I, mm-hmm. I I think there's almost an admitting of that, which I find very interesting. But I, I will tell you, I think those tigers should absolutely relish people being angry about this because that means that there actually are people that care. I would argue that the tigers are almost not part of the conversation that I have with people on a regular basis. And I think a good portion of that 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 fan base is now and entered the stage of apathy mm-hmm. it would be good to get those people back angry um and and again that's where i i would say you've got to be something to shake this tree as quickly as possible so yeah and as an organization they still have the opportunity to do that because while the lions are certainly on an upswing you know they're they're in the you know off season essentially um tigers primarily would compete you know, uh, well, they don't during the summer, they are what they are, but um, the Lions are always going to be what they are. Like, they're, they're, there's there's no getting around the loyalty of that fan base. Pistons and Wings are different. And right now, and we'll talk about the Wings here in just a second, but right now, there's apathy in all of those worlds. And so whichever of those three teams emerges, they're going to get a lot of energy and excitement um, because there has been none in Tigertown or Detroit in some time. 
And so, like, moving into the Red Wings, like, they're just starting to be competitive again. And they've had a nice little run here. They're just out of a wild card spot. And we talked about this. We thought they might just sneak into a wild card spot this year. They've played some really good hockey of late. Dylan Larkin is legit. Um, and we've known that, but he's having that kind of season. Um, and even with the problems the Wings have had this year, some with injuries and some with you know off the ice issues, they've still done a nice job. A really nice job. And the thing that I, I would comment on is I think Iserman has been very deliberate and very um he doesn't put up with nonsense. I mean, you wave the guys he's waved and caps off. Uh he's uh, and this is a lesser example, but I think indicative of the fact that Iserman is focused on winning and nothing else is waving Adam Ernie. Uh, he was one of the first guys he brought with him from Tampa. Um, a good third, fourth wing, you know, line winger. Had a really nice year a couple of years ago. He's not hanging on to him because, oh, he's one of my guys. Nope. He sent him down through waivers because he was not performing and there were players that were better than him. That's all you can ask for from a general manager. And too often we see it in all the sports where they hang on to certain guys because they're their guys, which is one of the things that I'm worried about a little bit with Harris. Um, again, too early to, to, to criticize, just a little bit of worry. So I, I think the wings are on the right track. Truly. I, I still think with the wings and, and it seems like the, the statement of the obvious, it, it probably, it's, I think a lot more critical than most people think um, to go ahead and make sure that you get some sort of playoff presence this year. Right. I, I think that that, that would go a long way, not only for the, the, you know, for, for the fan base, but I think it would also probably help from a free agency standpoint. Right. I, I think the free agency that'll give you the idea that maybe, maybe things are moving along in, in a little faster pace, that maybe this is some where you want to be, um, and it sends that message out to free agents. Um, and I'm, I, I, I do hope that we have some sort of culmination of this the Larkin contract extension here very quickly. I think that that would go a long way. Um, I think, and to your point, I think people don't really take into all the facts that kind of show some of the challenges that Larkin has, and, and most likely if he became a free agent. Um, there's probably a good number of teams that wouldn't have a problem giving him the money that he that, that he wants, and there would be a lot of regret. And that's not to say that I think Steve Eisen was not handling it correctly, um, but you know, in general, I I, I just uh, I I do hope these kids executed correctly, just, just like we talked about with college basketball. And granted, the age is not the same, but you know, Larkin is still a pretty young guy, and sometimes the motions or, or being slighted or whatever might player rolling decisions that he may make as far as what what happens here and hopefully uh the the, the everything just kind of calms down we get a deal done and then it can continue building around uh larkin so yeah yeah i mean i think the thing that really stands out is a lot of what we've discussed on the previous shows is that really that what's holding them back is another elite defender um and that they still got to push a little bit there, get the goals of game down into the top quadrant, uh, you know, the NHL, which, you know, you're talking top 14-ish. 
and they're probably hovering around, you know, 17, 18 right now. Um, you know, aside from that, you know, this is after this little run, this is where they're supposed to be. And so this is in order for me to say that this season is, is a success, they have to stay where they are now. And by that, I mean, within a couple of points of the wild card or better, um, where they were prior to this run had me going, you're stuck in the mud, Stevie. Like, this is not, this is not progress. You did, you made too many moves for them to be, you know, a game or two above 500. They really need to be pushing against the wild card. If they do that, and it's another successful season in the books, get Larkin figured out, add another very good defender. Seems like you have your goaltender of the future and then let these kids continue to develop. Cause again, as I mentioned on the last show, all of their key contributors with the exception of Peron and one of the defensemen are under 30. So everything's primed. You understand who you are. Larkin is, 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 is taking good shape. Now it's just time to you know finish strong and then execute in the off season. And then absolutely should be expecting to be in the playoffs next year. Yep. One of the things I think we'll watch also um, as we get closer to the end of season, start talking about off season sort of stuff, which obviously we got a little ways to go yet um, is what do the wings do with Tyler Bertuzzi? Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent this year. He's had a, a terrible season. Um, he's, basically broken both of his hands this year by blocking shots. Um, never has picked it up. This last week or so in this little run the Wings have had, he's played better for sure. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see what the what the what the Wings decide to do uh, with him. Because uh, he can be a very dynamic hockey player. Um, so that'll be one of the other big questions. Um, before we wrap up, I guess we can take a quick uh, flyer on the Pistons. Any thoughts on where their roster is sitting and, uh, you know, 27 well, team I, trades I'm, and what I'm gonna do. I'm going to do Adam the favor of sticking my jaw out him for him to punch here uh, with what I'm expecting his commentary to be. But I'm going to actually say I like the trade. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you, Adam, a few moments to muster your probably uh, your, your correct counterattack. But I actually like the deal. Um you know, taking a flyer on Wiseman, you know, really a guy that I actually believe the Warriors made a really terrible decision in drafting because he was exactly the wrong type of player for what they do there. Um, you know, the guys that are most successful there are not guys that you take number one overall that play center. You know, Kavan Looney, I don't even know if he was drafted, like just guys that fill up space and rebound well and move well. And that that's not what you get when you take a project player like Wiseman who played, you know, one college basketball game or whatever. So it was always miscast there, I think. Um, and so the, on the merits of the deal, I like it because they need to free up space on the wing. Clearly Sadiq Bay was not Troy Weaver's guy. I don't know if he was Dwayne Casey's guy either. I don't know. Um, so on the deal itself, I'll give the deal a B plus on the deadline overall. I would downgrade that to a C because I was expecting another trade um, because I don't understand what they're doing in the front court. Uh, when you have Duran, Bagley, Wiseman, Stewart, I don't understand. To me, the way you balance out the terms of that deal would have been to move, ideally, Bagley uh, for a couple of second-round draft picks to kind of replenish that stock or, frankly, whatever you could get. Um, but now they have a logjam again, and it's the same, you know, and Adam's you know, show notes n- nailed it right. Same conversation, just move the logjam from one place to the other. So I'm not all that. I don't feel like the Bay move is, is bad for the Pistons. Um, you know, I think he's pretty limited in his ceiling. He has hit his ceiling. And so, 
he's going to be a, a solid double-digit scorer in the NBA, but he's not transformational. So Wiseman, I think it's a gamble, but he could be him and Duran could could be a, a force to be reckoned with in the future. Actually, uh, you'll be disappointed. I don't really disagree with anything that you mm. said. I think I think the Wiseman, you know, but to your point, I, I don't. There, there, there's no like actual roster makeup planning that's happened on this team, in, mm-hmm. in, in my estimation, right? I mean, if you're Sadiq Bay, free at last, free at last, free at last. It didn't matter what team he went through. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he went to a team that's really not good for him, by the way. Um, I feel bad for him because hopefully, I don't know where his contract is. I'm, I'm hoping for his sake that he's able to go to a team because I actually believe everyone that's ever listened to the show knows I think he does have a bit of a ceiling that has not even been remotely touched. Um, I do think he has that ability. He's not going to get into Atlanta. Not not in a, I mean, actually Atlanta's done a worse job than the Pistons of a roster of makeup. Yeah, so that, that um, it's it's bad. I, I, I don't really understand that one. But uh, I think Wiseman's fine. No, bring him on in, see what he can do. And and I think he's, again, a piece. The problem with the Pistons right now is they have nothing but pieces. They have nothing to actually, like, build and, and have the centerpiece at, at this point. Maybe Duran, maybe, maybe maybe as time goes along, Jaden Ivey, you know, that, that type of thing. But again, they have all nothing but good pieces. And yeah, and to your point, I agree. I actually would give it a, I, I almost would argue a D, um, uh, just because I think, um, now mind you, the Pistons could never get into a um, uh, any sort of trade uh, for a uh, Kylie Irving or a Durant. We we know that 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 was not attainable, but but I do wonder. I, I wonder, like, this, this like, last uh, uh, trade deadline, you had Sabonis and you had uh, um, uh, McCollum, you know, and, and they were traded. And I, I think that in the right team, those are maybe something you could build around. I, I maybe am showing that I'm not the an NBA expert, but, boy, I would have been very interested to know what the Pistons would have had to do to get Spencer Dinwiddie. I it was by the way he was a piston before if I remember right um, but but I wonder what it would take to do because I think he's someone I'm not telling you that he's the creme of the creme but boy on this particular team with the pieces they got he would have been someone I would have wanted to talk about building around this is his ability to handle the ball and with a certain amount of time I think I think he would have raised the level of this team and especially with Bojanovic and him. Any Eastern Conference is absolutely really kind of terrible. And, and by the way, the Knicks have done really well in their trades, really putting together a, a, a decent team, um, in, in especially in an Eastern Conference that's so terrible. And I think that's, that's above anything else, guys. The story is that you're in a conference that's very nondescript in the Eastern Conference outside of maybe the Celtics. And you have yet to seize the opportunity and that's what ticks me off yeah i think they were really at a structural disadvantage at this trade deadline because of the names of the players that were being floated around you know durant and irving were going to require such large deals that i just don't think the participants were prepared to enter into one of them because it would have likely involved cunningham or ivy 
um, going the other way in any of those deals. And not that any of us are suggesting they should have gotten one of those guys, but I think they were a little at a structural disadvantage. Um, but, you know, it's really wait and see. Um, you know, if Cunningham is not the guy that Adam just described, then they have a real problem. You know, if he is not going to be a dominant force on the court next year, uh, they have a real problem. Uh, on the on the front, the bright side of things, Duran and Ivy, I think, are as good as expected. And Duran is better, which is why I was foaming at the mouth happy about them drafting him last year, yeah. because he, I believe he's that good. Um, so, and then, and then you know, yeah, yeah, the one thing I will say, the reason maybe I keep their pistol the grade a little bit higher for the trade deadline is I do actually believe the market may be better this summer for Bogdanovich than it is now. Um, and they may actually get more out of him over the summer than they could at the deadline. Um, you know, and depending on what they do with their draft pick too, you know, do they go out and get a, uh, a perennial all-star with their draft pick and a guy like Bogdanovich or, or whatever, or Stewart or something like that over the summer remains to be seen, but they need to do something. Um, so and, that they, and I, they have that transformational player that Adam's describing. Right. I, I, and I, I'll be very curious what they decide to do with Dwayne Casey. I just wonder if the messaging from Dwayne Casey has just grown very old. old. And it, it's not because Dwayne Casey's not a good coach. I just don't know if he's been given the tools that he thought he would be have in this. And, and, and I, I have to think that he, he's such a, in my mind, he's still a very, very good coach. But after a while, the losing has to absolutely drive him bonkers. Uh, and I know he enjoys being a teacher. That there's no doubt about it. he really enjoys that teaching role, but I I do wonder if it'll be time after the season to go out and do it. The the, the fear I have is does this front office have any clues to go out? And because I think they got very 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 lucky with Dwayne Casey um, having him, uh, and I'm just not very confident that this front office will know who to bring in that will actually be able to connect with the players. I, I think the chances of that are not very high. So. I just wonder, and I guess this just echoes what you've been saying. I just wonder when is enough enough, like in terms of making moves, like when do we have the roster that we're going to move forward with? Um, because we've been, it's, it's gotta been be going into next year. It ha they have to break the right. log jam in the summer. Right. Like you've got all these kids who are 20, 21, whatever years old, like, okay. Like you got to go out and get that, whatever that missing piece is. And then and go with it because that's what we've been talking about with the wings and the tigers too. It's it's that same thing. It's like is it is it is yeah. this the nucleus? Well yeah, I mean, I, putting the NFL aside, like the the turnaround in the NBA is the opposite of, of MLB, right? They're mm -hmm. at the they're at the different ends of the rebuild spectrum, right? Like sure. next like next year is the time that they should be in the wild card game. Like it's even shorter than uh in the play excuse me, in the play in tournament. It's even shorter than the NHL. Like it's time. Like you can see that Duran's already capable of scoring thirty points on a night. Is he going to do that every day? Of course not. But like the, the the time is now. Like they have to do it. I I think the thing that will be consistent with this team. Well, I sound like Yogi Berra. Will be consistent with this team until it changes. Is the ownership. <laughs> the ownership is the key to this team right now, and the ownership couldn't be worse. And until that changes, and hopefully, I hope for this organization, for this team, for this city, that changes really quickly. 
But until that changes, I just don't have a lot of faith that the right people are where they need to be. So, and, and I think especially when you, when you look at like the matches, right? Goes out, buys the Phoenix Suns, and immediately because we're going to start doing stuff, and, and we 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 need to win here. I don't even know if Gores knows what he has or where they're going or whatever. I just, I, I think the challenge Adam is it's, um, you know, it's a vicious cycle because the thing that is going to, if, if Gores does decide to move on the team, the thing that's going to move him on is money, which is valuation and valuation comes from competition and star power on your roster. Winning. Like, right. Winning. Right. <laughs> I mean, even not even winning. I mean, even if you have an asset of a, a player that, you know, sure. just something like, you know, Kate Cunningham, you know, pulls a Russell Westbrook or whatever and averages a triple double next year. Like they need something that 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 drives up the value in order for him to move on or or it's just going to get so bad that he'll move on. And, but if that happens, it likely mm-hmm. means we go in the opposite direction and they, they lose so badly he gives up. So, yeah, I, I tell you what, I bet he's got his investment back over at least five times this point, even I'm, just I'm to sure. give them the, 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 the floor for the team, right? Probably. I, I, I don't know if it's, yeah, I, just a thought. There's another topic for another time, too, is how teams are valued at this point across all four leagues and, and the ridiculous numbers that are getting tossed around at this point. So that's actually a really good right. point. Right. But telling right. that Ashiba bought the Suns, not the Pistons. I'm sure there there is a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Oh on, yeah, on on both sides, likely. So, no doubt. With that in mind, that's going to wrap us up for this edition of the Sports Emporium. Uh, next time we uh, we are together, I'm sure we'll have lots of fun things to talk about and various postmortems and draft prep for the NFL and really kind of an idea of. Um, you know, how the end of the season looks for the Wings in, in particular. You know, are they going to be a playoff team or not? Uh, spring training and, you know, what's going on there. Maybe a little World Baseball Classic. We'll see what else is is going on along those lines. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got, unless either of you have any parting thoughts. We'll probably be meeting at the end of, or probably in a month. That means that we'll have a couple weeks till the Masters. So, and I think mm-hmm. uh, the nice thing is the last two weeks have been, um, I think the uh, PGA Tour has gotten back into what they do is, and, and it's just getting the stars out there and playing golf. Uh, the uh, Waste Management Open last week was fantastic. Uh, today's been, uh, or the uh, um, Genesis uh, LA Open has been fantastic. Now we'll have a little bit of a dip because there won't be the $20 billion there for to be won. So a little bit of a dip. Then there'll be a, a few between now and then, including Players Championship on a big draw. Um, it, it's nice to see a story that I've talked a lot, a lot about where the PGA Tour has something really, really going on. And they're kind of making their way past a lot of this LIB controversy. Uh, and something to watch out for too as time goes along. A little bit of rumor going around, or maybe maybe Mr. Brooks Kepka will come back to the PGA Tour, uh, and I'm sure that will kind of rile up some people. But I, I I do wonder if we'll have a lot of this kind of going back and forth for a little bit. So um, just something to watch out. For. Also, so. never never hurts uh, regardless of quality of play when Tiger's in the mix. So uh, and true. I'm sure Absolutely. viewership is up. I'll probably pop in for the last few rounds. 
or last few holes rather of the tournament today just to watch him uh, do what he does. Yeah, and and then the NFL free agency will be underway uh, just about the time that we're back on again, and uh, um, we'll we'll have to see. I, I think there's a lot of talk about what exactly the line season and the and the cap situation that they have that will end up garnering anything. There's actually some people to think that they will not be very aggressive, that they'll be very very extremely selective in free agency. Uh, they won't necessarily make the splashes. And I will say, I, I do not think this team is going over uh, after Jalen Ramsey. Um, I don't think Jalen Ramsey is a, is a fit for this team. Uh, his talent is unbelievable, but I, I just don't think he's a, a fit for this organization. But that's just a thought. We can also uh, touch on um, Baseball Hall of Fame. Scott Rowling got in um, and maybe talk a little bit more about what should be coming next, uh, which is a Lou Whitaker in the Hall of Fame conversation. Yeah. But again, for another time, Tim McCarver also passed away in this past week. Um, heck of a baseball player, less of a heck of an announcer, um, but um, a great ambassador for the game of baseball uh, yes. passing away uh, and who had some great, great stories to tell. Um, that is for sure. Well, with that in mind, like I said, that wraps it up and just channeling a little bit of uh, Yogi Berra here to finish things off. Remember this, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, <laughs> my name is Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. <laughs>